The beginning of the gospel according to St. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son, from the Father. In the beginning of John's Gospel, he opens, In the beginning was the Word. Why does he open like this? He's very clearly trying to get us to think about Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is St. John trying to tether together Genesis and the New Testament? One way to look at it is, what does he mean by word? In the Greek, it's logos. What does that mean? It means the reason, the order, the principle of a thing, its structure. You can think of uh, its etymology. Today in English, right, instead of saying logos, we would say the logic of a thing. Or think of the suffix ology, like in biology or zoology. These are the study of life, the study of animals. Logos means the logic, the ordering principle. And why St. John's trying to tether these things together is because what he's trying to get us to understand is that what has come to earth in the Word is the exact same Word that the Father spoke at creation. When God said, let there be light, that which was spoken and gave structure and order to the universe has now come in flesh. The Logos has become incarnate. And this is why John's trying to paint these together, that the coming of Jesus Christ is a new Genesis. It's a recreation, a new creation story. We see this exact same thing actually in St. Paul. So in his epistles, he will talk about Christ as a new Adam. Why do we need a new Adam? Well, because you can look at Adam in the Old Testament as like the head of humanity. And so when he fell, he was the head, we were the body. The whole body has become corrupt. Our nature has become corrupt. Our intellect, our will, they suffer defects. So how do we get rid of this? How can we get rid of this original sin? Well, one way that St. John and St. Paul are trying to get us to think is that in this new creation, we need a new Adam. We need a way to take ourselves and put ourselves under a new head. And so what we see in St. Paul is that we want to connect ourselves to the new Adam, to Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? How do we become part of his body? Baptism. 
And again, this is another picture of the New Testament as a new Genesis. And why is that? Well, because if you think back to the beginning, God pulls creation out of the primordial waters. The Holy Spirit flutters above these waters, and it's from those that God will pull forth creation. The exact same thing happens in baptism. I am baptized. I become a new creature. Like God pulling creation out of those primordial waters, so too am I pulled out as a new creature in Jesus Christ. And as that new creature, as part of Christ's new creation in the New Testament, I belong to him. I become part of his body. Think of how St. Paul says this mirrors marriage, right? Christ is the head and I am the body. He is the groom and we are the bride. We connect ourselves to him. And this is a way to read the New Testament. That is really is a new Genesis story. And we're being invited to understand Christ as a new Adam. We're being invited to understand that the baptismal waters are waters of new creation. And this means a lot for our salvation, for our discipleship, to connect ourselves with Jesus Christ. What is this kind of reading of scripture? We say, oh, look, these waters are like the same, or there's a new Adam and an old Adam, or there's an old Genesis and a new Genesis. If we read scripture the way the early church fathers did, like Dante did, like St. Thomas Aquinas did, we see there's four ways to read scripture. We have the literal. What does it actually say? What did the author actually intend? We have the allegorical, which is, how are these things serving as an analogy? How is this one thing a type of another? We have the moral, how's this applied to my life? How can I take this lesson and become a better Catholic? And fourth, we have the anagogical, which is a foreign word that we're not really used to, but it means leading. How does this lead me to my eternal salvation? When we look at Genesis or the New Testament as a new Genesis, it's an allegorical reading of scripture. We're saying this type of thing serves as another type, or rather Adam points us to a new Adam, Jesus Christ, or rather the waters of Genesis are a foreshadowing of the new waters in baptism. And so it's in understanding the New Testament as a new Genesis that we're then invited to understand how this can actually make us a better disciple of Jesus Christ and how can Christ as the new Adam unlock or blossom the entire New Testament as a larger Genesis narrative. And this is the conversation we need to have, and this is a good discussion. How is the New Testament a new Genesis? Okay, so we're now going to have a discussion piece of this video. And so I'm very delighted to be here with Sister Mary Hannah. Thank you. Who serves as the president of Bishop Kelly High School. So we're talking about the New Testament as a new Genesis. We've seen that Christ comes as a new Adam, and we're gonna move ourselves, our salvation lies in moving underneath his headship, right? To join his body, to join the church right? We're washed in baptism. We become his bride. We become one body. So we've kind of painted this um, kind of allegorical picture of Genesis. And so, but if we kind of play this out, right, there's all kinds of other things that have happened in Genesis. And do they have a role in the New Testament as well, right? Sure. So what about Mary? Like, do we see a role in which Mary kind of plays the same role, right? So if Christ is the new Adam, yeah. where's Mary fit in? I love that question. Uh our Lady is um, one of my very most favorite favorite people. So my understanding from the book of Genesis, if we're looking at 
Genesis as a type or like kind of a foreshadowing of what happens with Christ's life is that just as Eve was a feminine figure, so Mary is a feminine figure. Mm-hmm. I think there's um, a number of parallels. Also, if you look at the serpent in the Old Testament in the Genesis story representing the devil who would be a fallen angel, he comes to mm-hmm. Eve, announces to her a message, she receives it. Mary, in a parallel way, when the angel Gabriel comes to her, she receives that message. Also, she really receives it in faith. In a certain way, I wonder if you could say, you know, that in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, Eve received in faith Mm -hmm. a message. She believed what the serpent told her. Right. And then you see like the fruit of those messages received being borne out. But whereas for Eve, she ate the fruit and it um, engendered death, it caused death. Mary ate the fruit and it caused life in the life of Christ and then in the church. So it's a a beautiful image. No, I I think it is uh, very beautiful. And so there's this interplay that we see, right? Just as you said, right? So we have Mary, we have Eve, Mary listens to the angel, Eve listens to the snake, right? And then they both kind of, in a certain way, really kind of uh, bring forth something into the world out of that, right? Eve bringing in sin and death, uh, but then we also have Mary obviously bringing in God incarnate, grace and salvation. What about, well, actually, before I get to that, St. Irenaeus actually has a beautiful line on this where he talks about that, like you mentioned, uh, the obedience of Mary unties the knot oh. of Eve's disobedience. Yeah, we right? actually share a common devotion to Mary, undoer of knots. Oh, we do, actually. Yeah, yeah. we do, actually. <laughs> so, about that. so, which comes kind of from this, right? That Mary, she unties with the help of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. the, the knots that in Eve's case, original sin and how that's passed on to to humanity, Mm -hmm. but also figuratively, but in a real sense lived, like in my relationship with the Lord, I go to Mary Undoer of Knots every day. I pray a prayer to her and ask her to untie the knots of like situations I'm in at work or difficulties in relationship, or like if we get in a fight, I'd ask her to... (laughs) Which happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah. Right. Um, But so to see that like, I think this is kind of one of the points as you and I were talking ahead of time is to say, okay, well, how do these images, the typology from Old Testament to new also bear fruit in the life of each individual Christian? Right. Yeah. How do we take, so if we understand, if we recall how to read scripture, so there's like the literal, what does it actually say? Then there's the allegorical. Can we take this type and compare it to another? And then there's the moral. How's this apply to my life? So no, I, I think that's beautiful that the way that Mary untied that knot for Eve is something that she can actually do in yeah, our life. Right. Yeah. And as you know, because I think you have the same one, right? On my desk, I have this statue right. of Mary Undoer of Knots. And there she is untying the knots I love of that. our day. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful devotion. But I don't think I actually answered your question because I got excited about that. Well, it was answer. still a good answer. Oh, thank was, you. Okay. Thank yeah. you. What was your question? I have no idea. That's good. I have no idea what any question is. Let's talk about this though. Okay. What about, uh, is there a relationship in their motherhood? Oh. So I look at it and I, I see that, you know, Eve is the mother of all who live, right? But then we, so now we're kind of born into that original sin. We're born into humanity. But I can be made a new creature, just like uh, God pulled forth creation out of the primordial waters. So too, can I be pulled a new creation, a new creation out of the waters of baptism? Like, so if Mary, or excuse me, if Eve is the mother of all who live, can we talk about Mary as the mother of all who live in Christ? Like, does she she become my my mother? 
Yeah. Right. When I enter into that relationship as a new creature in Christ. Yeah, I think there's, it seems to me like there's an important point that Mary in her own person does that, but then also Mary as herself, an image or a type of the church does that. It's my understanding that in Vatican II, the council fathers, when they were looking at, you know, where do we put the Blessed Mother as we're describing the life of the church, there was this question of, maybe we should give Mary her own document because she's so important in the life of the Christian faithful. But then the decision of the Council Fathers was actually, no, let's put her as, I think it's the last chapter perhaps, in um, the Constitution on the Church, because Our Lady, her place is within the Church. And just like Christ is head of the Church, but also the Church himself in a certain measure, so is Our Lady. So as we're talking about Mary's spiritual motherhood, uh, it seems to me that we can think about her both in Mary and her person, like when I ask for her prayers that she can obtain grace for me personally, but then also she represents the church. And so just as she gave birth to Christ, the church gives birth to Christians mm -hmm. through the waters of baptism. And so that Mary really sees in us her children because she sees Christ when she sees us because right. we're baptized as much as we might not see that in ourselves always. Yeah. So I think that, you know, because sometimes we talk about Holy Mother Church, right? right? We speak right. of the maternity of the church. And I think we can, too, look at Mary really as like the first um, or at least the exemplar of discipleship. Oh, right. right. She stays Which is with Christ. Why Mary is in the name of many religious sisters. Like my name is Sister Mary right. Hannah. We also have Sister Marie Josepha and Sister Mary Gretchen and Sister Mary Alicia. Which is very convenient if I forget your all's names. Right. Because right? it's either a sister right. or Sister Mary. How yeah, are you? Then it's like, hey, you, because it's like. Right. Then you, then you all turn around and look. But the, the purpose of that is because Mary's, as, as we have a patron for our religious life, our community's custom, my community's custom, is that Mary's always in there because she's the first and model disciple. Mm hmm. I should have said this. So you're president of Bishop Kelly. Yes. But tell us a little bit about your institute. Community. Yes, so, your community. So uh, I'm a member of the Religious Sisters of Mercy of mm -hmm. Alma, Michigan. And we've actually been here in the Diocese of Tulsa for about 20 years, since around the year 2000. For the majority of that time, we've been at St. Francis Hospital or Health System in the Department of Pastoral Care uh, and working as physicians and nurses. Our community has a, our service to the church is typically in the fields of education and healthcare and faith formation. So this uh, past year, so in the 21-22 school year, our community established a mission at Bishop Kelly High School mm -hmm. uh, here in the Diocese of Tulsa. Uh, the Christian Brothers had been at Bishop Kelly for the past 60 years, and we've had two diocesan priests as the president role before me. Um, but the Christian brothers were no longer able to um, continue that mission. And so then the school looked and the diocese looked for another religious community to partner with them. And so our community uh, was able to fulfill that. We're delighted about it. So oh, very good. Yeah. So wait, but I have one more piece. Okay, go for it. There's two of us there, myself right. in the president role, and then another sister, Sister Mary Alicia, who is teaching theology. Which in a very particular way, then you all... Uh, really in certain ways are icons or pictures of that maternity slash discipleship oh, of Mary. I hope so. Right? Yeah, that's the intention. That's, that's the, that's the yeah, goal, that's right? The that's goal. the ideal. That's, the goal. that's why we kind of, mm -hmm. we wear this fancy outfit. Our religious habit. <laughs> right. The fancy outfit. I like that. So we have Mary as a mother. 
So then we're kind of playing out this typology that we see kind of the beginning of Genesis and seeing the New Testament as a new Genesis. So we have Mary. You also pointed out several other ones, right? There's a relationship between the serpent and the angel. There's a relationship of what both of them then ended up giving birth to in the world. Uh, what about the cross, though? Where does the cross oh. like fit in? Is there is there an imagery here? You know who I've heard? This is in the Office of Readings, um, but St. John Chrysostom has this beautiful homily mm -hmm. where he talks about basically the image that you're painting here, um, the, the old Adam and the new Adam, old Eve, new Eve, and he says, well, there's wood involved in both places, right. <laughs> you know, so we right. have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and mm -hmm. the tree of the cross. Right. Um, and something interesting somewhat recently reflected to me was that Jesus was a carpenter. And so he spent his whole livelihood before entering into his public ministry working with wood. Mm. And then like just imagining him receiving the wood of the cross, like he knew what wood felt like and like right. what it was like to mold it. And now the cross in one sense is molding him mm. so that yeah, like it, be his, it becomes that instrument yeah, of for salvation. His offering, yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I think there's uh, a lot of beauty there. And in the, I think in the comparison of those two trees, right? Uh, even the New Testament will talk about Christ who died upon the tree, right? So we're seeing that there's these two things. I think you also see where when Mary, or excuse me, when Eve, right, ate of the fruit, that's not when things fell, right? It was when Adam comes and it's Adam and Eve at the tree, we get the fall. You get a yeah. similar picture in the New Testament, right, of you have the tree, the cross, you have the new Adam, and then at the foot of the cross, you have the new Eve, right? And it's them together then that kind of usher in this New Testament, right, this new yeah. Genesis. And I think as a kind of a segue there, right, both trees also have fruit, right? So what do we make of the comparison between those two fruits? Is there a fruit in the New Testament? It's, it's an interesting question. I mean, the first thing that I think of is like, well, what's the immediate result? What well, was the blood and water being pulled, poured out from Christ's side? Um, you know, and that, that, that imagery we understand to represent the church, like the water to represent baptism and the blood to represent the Eucharist. Um, I think though, probably if you're looking at the fruit in the sense of, well, what's consumed, mm -hmm. we would say that in the Genesis story, it's the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, you know, is represented by an apple, but it right. just says fruit. We don't know that it's an apple. Um, but then in the New Testament, it would be receiving the Holy Eucharist. And then, right. I mean, this part is, I didn't learn this until I was well into my adult and religious life, but that the church understands that it's one act, the days of the Holy Triduum. So when mm -hmm. Jesus institutes the Eucharist at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday. And then when he dies on the cross, that's one action. And then when it's represented to us in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, not that Christ is dying again, but that his self-offering to the Father, it's like a stepping out of time when we come to Mass. And right. so we too are there with Mary and the John, the beloved disciple at the foot of the cross. And so the, those three parts are really the same thing, and we receive the Holy Eucharist. So we're receiving the fruit of Christ's sacrifice, and then that's how we can live by this new life of grace. Yeah, I think, no, I, yeah, it's, it, it uh, presents a very beautiful picture. And you see then, like, the reception of the fruit in the Old Testament 
causes that damnation, yeah. but the reception of the fruit in the New Testament causes grace, right? It causes this new life. Yeah. And I think it, with the Hail Mary, right, blesses the fruit of thy womb, yeah. Jesus, right? He's even compared, right, to this fruit. So we receive this, and I think that then this kind of brings us full circle, because then I receive that, Mm-hmm. And I'm receiving the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, right? He's truly present in the Holy Eucharist. But in that, just like with a husband and wife, there's a commingling of the fleshes. Here again, we come back to that picture of that he's the head and we're the body, right? That in receiving the Holy Eucharist, I become one body with Jesus Christ and I can unite myself to him. He's the groom and I am the bride. And this is, this is truly where my salvation yeah. lies, right? Is uniting myself to Jesus Christ. You know, I think is, I mean, I appreciate, you know, having this opportunity to talk about um, these theological concepts, but sometimes I think, like, you know, I've talked about this before, that I think it can, it's important to say, well, what's the bridge to let that come to my own personal spiritual life as a Christian? And I was thinking, actually just praying this morning, and I was thinking about the reality it was for people to touch the flesh of Christ. So like the woman who's healed of the hemorrhage because she touches the fringe of his garment, or today's gospel was Jesus curing Simon Peter's mother-in-law by touching her. It's like, do I believe that I'm equally touching Jesus? Like I'm receiving him and like to make an act of faith, like Jesus, I believe that you are just as present to me mm-hmm. as you were to these people 2000 years ago. And that I believe that you're with me and you love me and in receiving the Holy Eucharist, like please bear this fruit in my life. And another point that I think is really interesting to consider on more of a conceptual level is, I think if you look at the Genesis story, it takes a while for the fruit to be born out. Like, you know that there's a fall, you know that there's no longer access to the tree of life, but you it takes like kind of years for there to be like, oh, well, there was this death and this fratricide and then this bad thing happened. And I wonder if it's kind of similar for us in the life of grace, that it takes some time before we see this new life. Yeah, I think we have to we have to make that intentional act right of not only being open to receive the Holy Eucharist, but then uh, using the graces that we receive to configure ourselves yeah. to Him, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is uh, God created us to know, love, and serve Him. So hopefully when we kind of look at these more conceptual things, right? So it's like, okay, the New Testament's a new Genesis, and Christ is a new Adam, and what's Mary's role, et cetera, that as we move through this, we can kind of see it in two ways. One, to know, love, and serve. Knowledge comes first, but the more we understand about Christ, the more it's an invitation for us to love Him, Yeah. right? So I can think in my own life, so if I didn't know about baptism washing me like creation was pulled out of the primordial waters if i didn't understand the relationship between the two fruits can i take that into my own personal prayer life and use that new knowledge to try and blossom a new relationship with jesus christ so kind of as we draw to a close is there any kind of like practical prayer devotion anything that you could recommend to try and take these concepts and say okay how do i apply this to my personal life yeah i would say um, devotion to Mary and doer mm-hmm. of knots. It's a good one. Um, and then reception of the Holy Eucharist frequently making an act of faith, not just going through the motions, but speaking to Jesus about believing in his presence there in a personal way. I think those, both of those would bear a lot of fruit. Good. Very good. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. I so appreciate much our conversation. Invitation. Yeah. Thank you, Deacon Harrison. Thanks.